We're going to go ahead and continue continue on in the Gospel of John, and today we're going to be working our way through uh, chapter eight, verses thirty-one through forty-seven. Now, how many of you guys remember what we talked about last week? Only one person remembered last week. What? Boy, makes me wonder if I should just sit down if you're not going to remember it anyway. Hallelujah! Praise God. One person. Actually, we, oh, we have two people. You want to come give us a summary real quick? Apparently nobody else. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> well, you'll remember, if you'll remember, and, and just so you know, it's recorded, it's online if you guys need a refresher, all of them. But uh, last week, Jesus made the claim that he was the light of the world. And you remember, that's, that's just, if you it was, go through the Gospel of John, he just continues to make bold claim after bold claim. And, and as we talked about last week, when he was claiming to be the light of the world, he was actually making a claim to deity. This was a bold claim, particularly for those who were listening to him make it. But you remember at the very end, in verse 30, where we stopped, it said, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So we have this a big group of people who are rejecting what Jesus says, right? Because it's constantly saying that they wanted to kill him. And, and they, they, they were wanting to have him arrested. They wanted to kill him. They, they didn't like what he was saying. But there was a group who was hearing him speak, and they begin to believe. So today, he's actually going to turn his, his attention to those who had believed. And it's actually a, a pretty interesting section because these were the Jews that, it, that, that he had heard, them, heard him speak and they began to believe. I mean, John actually makes the point to say that these are those who believed, but it appears as we make it through today that their belief was, a, was at best a superficial one because Jesus actually begins to confront and criticize them of those whom John said believed. Matter of fact, it seems like that uh, uh, they, they're starting to believe in him, but as soon as he gives his first command, it all just falls apart. Because how many know that belief isn't just a one and done thing? It's, it's not a check mark. You can say, oh, I, I believed on this day when I got saved and I don't ever have to believe again. No, belief is something that you must continue in. It's, it's something that you must maintain. And we're going to see today that, that if you don't, maintain your faith if you don't continue to abide in his in in his word then you actually can find yourself in a mess amen and it appears like the ones that jesus was speaking to today they couldn't even get past his first command and their belief just began to to dissipate to dissolve it just fell away so we start off here in verse 31 and 32 and it says so jesus said to the jews who had believed in him if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So this is when Jesus just got done speaking. He said he was the light of the world, and it says that, that many began to believe in him. So the ones that had believed him, this is what Jesus says. And, and Jesus takes this opportunity to respond to them because he, he, he must have saw something or understood something. So listen, these guys are starting to believe. Let's take it a step further. Let me continue to teach. And, and here's the thing. What Jesus tells them, he says, if you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you will abide in his word. In other words... You will listen to what he has to say. You will obey his teachings. You will, you will live out his words. You will walk in the way that he's teaching you. And, and if you are a Christian, this is just a reality of your life. There are no ifs and, and buts. 
you either are a Christian and you abide in his word, or you don't abide in, your, in his word and well, you can extrapolate from there. Then maybe you need to take a little bit deeper look at your life and see where you're at, see where, you're, where you're, your faith is actually standing. And this is why it's so sad to see Christians claiming, or, or you know, they're claiming to be Christians, they're claiming to be followers of, of Christ, but they don't actually follow Christ? Have you ever seen them? They, they say one thing, but if you look at their life, they look like something completely different. You know, they, 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 they treat His teachings and His commands as optional. It seems like there's a whole lot of people out there right now that are very excited about this idea that Jesus loves you and He has forgiveness for you and you can be His friend. I mean, those are great things. That's, that's amazing things. The problem is, is they forget about the part where He's also their Lord. And, oh, heaven forbid, you might point this out to somebody who claims to be a Christian because, boy, you just can't judge anybody. Now, it's true. If, if somebody's not saved, we're not to judge them. Matter of fact, we're just supposed to share the gospel. But the truth is, as Christians, we are to hold one another accountable. And it's not judging somebody. Now, you have to do it the right way. Let me make some caveats here, right? <laughs> like, the, you know, everybody, everybody heard the, the start of the excuse, oh, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth in love. If you have to start your phrase out like that, you're probably not doing it in love. <laughs> you know, pointing out somebody's failures is not the point. It's, it's pointing out Christ's success in them and that they should live it out. That's the, the thing we need to worry about. But the thing is, is that we get this idea that, uh, uh, you know, I can do Christianity however I want, and if you have a problem with that, then you're, you're judging me, and people get all offended. And, uh, but the, these people here, they, they, they apparently, you're going to see that they refuse to recognize Jesus as Lord. And man, the people today that are always worried about being judged, I, I wonder how they're going to respond when Jesus points out the same things. Because one day they will give an account. I also want to be clear that I'm not talking about falling or, 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 and, and getting back up, right? Because the truth is, as Christians, sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we fall. Sometimes we stumble. If you get back up, that's not the people that we're talking about here. These are the people that are deliberately choosing to remain <laughs> falling down, remain in that position. But there are so many out there today who treat the Word of God like it's a buffet line. Like, oh, I like this, but I don't like that. I'm going to pick this part, but I don't want to, to deal with this part. And the problem is, is that when we do that, our view of the truth gets distorted. We get confused. When we don't abide in His Word, then our perception gets a little bit muddled. And we don't actually experience the freedom that God intends us to experience. Because... A true disciple, disciple experiences freedom because we know the truth and we know the one who is truth. Amen? And the thing is, is knowing the truth means accepting it, obeying it, and living it. And you have a choice. You can either let truth dictate your choices in the direction of your life or you can let the world do the very same thing. As a matter of fact, it seems like it's one or the other. There is no middle ground. You're either letting the truth dictate your life or you're letting the world dictate your life. And when we pick and choose, it's those things in the world that are actually directing our steps. And they actually have authority over us rather than the one who bought us with a price. Amen. 
This is why I think progressive Christianity is getting such a foothold in today's society because they think they can pick out the, you know, the love, the, the forgiveness, the, the, the patience, the kindness. God, Jesus is our friend, but they don't want to actually change their life. The thing is, is that God really does love every one of those people, but he loves them. He loves them enough to meet them where they're at, but he loves them so much that he won't leave them where they're at. So what's happening is people are looking at the Word of God and they're picking out the stuff they like and anything they don't like, anything that might interfere with how they're living, they reject. And in doing so, they don't realize that they're actually living enslaved. I remember when I used to, when I was first starting to walk with the Lord again, I worked in restaurants. And if anybody's ever worked in restaurant, you know that that is not the healthiest of environments to live uh, and to work in. Uh, particularly if you're a Christian, you're going to find yourself running up against um, um, who your new nature is when you're dealing with the stuff around you. And, and I remember, though, telling people, I was getting ready to follow the Lord. You know, I'm trying to, to, to straighten up my life, and, and, and God's the only one that can do that. I want to start living for Him. And, and I would always get this, this thing like, oh, I, I couldn't do that because I want to be free. I want to be free to do all the, you know, the stuff in their life that they would have to give up if they recognized the authority of the Lord, right? They couldn't go out drinking and partying and sleeping around and all that stuff anymore. And they say, I want to be free to do that stuff. And I, I would always tell them, you, you say you're free. Well, if you're so free, don't do them for two weeks. And the thing is, none of them could because they weren't actually free. They were enslaved by the very things they claimed to be free to do. And very shortly as we continue on, Jesus is going to directly tell us why there are those who don't believe in his words. But for those who do abide in his word, we experience real freedom. We are finally free to live the life that God called us to live. Did you know before you were born again, it was impossible? It was actually impossible to live without sin because you were a slave to sin. But now, after you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, not only are you forgiven, but you are completely made brand new. You are set free. You finally have the ability to live the life that God called you to live. And you have the ability to fulfill God's purpose in your life. Amen? So then they answered him. Verse 33, they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone, how is it that you say we will become free? Or you will become free? Wouldn't you know it? The people listening to Jesus completely misunderstood him again. I don't know if you're starting to see a theme as we're going through this, but Jesus will say something and they always just twist it around and take it out of context. It's almost like they don't want to hear what he's saying. It's almost like they don't want to understand. You know, that's the reality is, is that if you understand what Jesus is saying, you have to make a choice. And we're going to see this as we move through these passages today, that their, their belief is fleeting too, right? We just heard in the last scripture, it says, Jesus spoke to those who had believed. And the first thing that the people that believe in Jesus do is question him. Can you imagine that? And it's amazing to me that, that when Jesus gives them amazing news, I mean, think about what Jesus just told them. You will become free. This is amazing news. This is, this is something that should have had their, them, them jumping up and down for joy. They should have been excited. You know, you're going to be free. All they have to do is continue to abide in his words, and they're going to be free. They're going to know the truth, 
But instead of rejoicing, they get offended. And do you ever read the Scripture and you're like, man, these guys are just dummies. I would never do something like that. The problem is people do it like that all the time today. Pastor Joseph likes to share, share a story about a gentleman that he was working with and he, he, he began to tell them that, that you know, God loves you and he went, to the, he went to the cross and he died to pay for your sins. And you know what the guy's response was? I'm not a sinner. Instead of rejoicing in the great news that that is, people get offended. So that's what happens here. Instead of rejoicing, they get offended. The response is, I'm not a sinner. Or the, the response to Jesus is, 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 we're not enslaved. How can you set us free? As people of Abraham, as offspring of Abraham, we've never been enslaved. Now that's rich. Like that is, that is they're going to try to give Jesus a history lesson that is just the most inaccurate history lesson that you've ever heard in your entire life. Because if you've read the Bible and you know a little bit about what happened to the Jews, you know that they've been enslaved multiple times. They've been enslaved to the Egyptians. They've been enslaved to the Assyrians. They've been enslaved to the, to the Babylonians. So he says, we're offspring of Abraham and never been enslaved to anyone. But say, say, say they're just ignorant of their past. Let's just, let, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. And they, they, maybe they didn't grow up and read about that. Now, we know that's not true, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They should have at least realized that they were being held in bondage to Rome right now. I mean, they, they, they weren't slaves in the same sense as they were in Egypt, being forced to do hard labor, but they were, they were completely under the thumb of Roman authority. They, sh- they should have realized that, 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 that listen, if we're going to use this, this, this idea of physical slavery they should at least recognize that they're, they're already in it right now, and it's happened so many times in history. But they insisted that they were free men. Just like the man saying, I'm not a sinner. He has to know that he's a sinner, right? We all know that we've sinned. There's not a single person on this world that doesn't recognize that about themselves. They may ignore it, but they see it. But that's what they're saying. Listen, we were never, we're, we've never been enslaved. And if we've never been enslaved, how could you possibly set us free? But the thing was, is they were oblivious to the reality of what Jesus was talking about. And they were oblivious to the reality that they were actually enslaved to sin. And in verse 34 through 38, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Since they completely misunderstood what Jesus was trying to say, Jesus goes ahead and takes a few moments to explain it to him. And he's like, listen, guys, I'm not talking about being in bondage to some other group of people. That's not the slavery that I'm talking about. He was talking about being a slave to sin. And here's the thing, that anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And this was a, a real problem that the Jews had. And, and, and not just the Jews, this is anyone that's not in Christ. This is a real problem that you have if you're not in Christ. You are a slave to sin. And that means sin dictates your life. 
Every decision you make, it influences it. Every, every choice that you think that you're making, that actually sin is what's pushing you along that direction. And even if you don't want to sin, you will. Because you don't have a choice. You are a slave to sin. Paul said the same thing when he wrote his letters to the Roman. In Romans 6.16, it says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. There's another scripture that says that you're no longer a slave to sin, you're now a slave to righteousness. And I always thought that was weird. What the heck does that mean, a slave to righteousness? And the reality is, is that, is that you're always, whatever you're enslaved to is what dictates your life. And we talked about being a slave to sin. And let's just think of it in, in earthly terms. Like if you, if you were a, a slave in this country, you know, several hundred years ago, or probably not even, that, not even that long ago, but if you were a black person and a slave in this country, you could not do anything without the permission of the, the slave owner. You couldn't use the restroom. You couldn't go to sleep. You couldn't eat. You can't... Everything in your life was completely dictated by your, this owner. And that's, that's the way sin is. Everything in your life is completely dictated by you can't do a thing in your life without the influence of sin, who is your master on you. If you're not born again, if you're not a Christian, sin is your master and it dictates everything that you do in your life. But then, those of us who are in Christ, we're no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to righteousness. That means righteousness dictates everything that you do in your life. The decisions you make, the choices that you, that you make every single day are influenced by righteousness, not by sin. In Romans 7, 14 through 20, Paul talks about this idea of, of the two natures. And in verse 14 through 20, it says, For we know, this is Romans 7, 14 through 20, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who, I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, first off, I want, I want any of you who ever read this and go, oh, he's describing a Christian. He's not. This, he's not talking about a Christian. He's talking about someone who's not saved. The reason you know this is because at the end, as he's going back with this comparison, he's talking about this nature of, of having sin be, be uh, 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 in power over you, not being able to do what you want. If you read the last part of that, he says, oh, what a wretched man I am. You know, what do I do? What a wretched man I am. But thanks be to God in Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the answer to this situation. But the thing is, without Jesus, this is where you're at. Even if you want to do good, you're a slave to sin, and it's impossible to do so. And I know this is truth in my own life, because before I got saved, or even, even in the beginning when I wanted to put my trust in God, and I lived so many years with, with, with uh, the best way I can describe it is just enough faith to be saved, but most of the time not even that. And I had this idea in my head that being a Christian was about doing all the rules, right? You know, like, oh, I'm a Christian. I can't do this. I can't do that. And as long as I'm not doing these things, then I'm doing good. And, but the, the reality was is that I actually hadn't uh, really accepted who Christ was. I really hadn't, hadn't, I didn't have a full revelation of what salvation really meant. 
and I was trying to do things on my own, and the reality, come on in, man, have a seat. Welcome. We appreciate you coming in. <laughs> we won't make you stand the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know this this uh, for me like it wasn't until i finally understood what salvation was about that i was i was i was not only forgiven but i was made brand new a new life inside of me that i finally began to live out in victory in my life because it was christ that gave me the ability to live without sinning now i'm not saying i never sin sometimes i fall but the thing for me is is, is i get back up that's what christians do you know, that's why we read stuff like this and we get nervous, right? So, oh, those who practice sin is a slave to sin. Everybody here is like, man, I think I sinned this morning. Does that mean that I'm a slave to sin? No, if you're in Christ, you are not, as long as you got back up. You see, the, this word here, practice, is the one they need to think about. Those who, who, who deliberately choose to practice sin, these are people that are living um, outside of the freedom that is given in Christ because they're, they're, they're walking away from it. But then he goes on to say, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Jesus is most likely making a reference to, to uh, Isaac and Ishmael. Just as Ishmael, Abram's son, was cast out, so were those who remain in slavery to sin. You see, Ishmael was, was, was the, the bondwoman, was, was the son of a slave. And he wasn't able to remain there because he wasn't a child of promise like Isaac was. So that's the, the reference Jesus is likely making. He says, listen, the slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Trust in Christ is what guarantees freedom and what guarantees a place in God's house forever. And whom the son sets free is free indeed. And he says, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. You see, the thing is, is the Jews may have been the physical offspring of, of, of Abraham, but they still wanted to kill Jesus. And by doing so, by wanting to kill Jesus, they were actually demonstrating that that's all they were, was physical descendants. They weren't actually operating as spiritual descendants of Abraham. They weren't Abraham's spiritual children, because if they were, they would not have rejected Jesus. And then he goes on to say, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. You see, if the Jews were actually Abraham's children, they would receive Jesus' word with great joy. But instead, they were following their own father. And in case you're wondering who Jesus is talking about, don't worry, he's going to make it clear in a few verses who he means by who is their father. So then they responded to Jesus. You're going to notice there's a constant back and forth in this passage between Jesus and these who, who began to believe, but then something happened because now they're just at odds with Jesus this whole time. And he says, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. And this is not what Abraham did. So once again, they argue back. Abraham's our father. And they completely missed the point, and I think they completely missed the jab that Jesus is making at him. When he says, you are of your father, you're just doing what you see your father see, they hadn't made the connection yet, I don't think. And like, wait a minute, Abraham's our father. What are you talking about? But Jesus makes it clear, listen, if you were really Abraham's children, then you would do the works that Abraham did. And you say, well, Pastor Wayne, what are those works? Well, that's just trusting in God and obeying his word. 
they would have been living a life of faith and obedience. But instead, they wanted to kill Jesus. Instead of rejoicing to the one God sent, they wanted to kill him. If they were truly Abraham's children, they certainly wouldn't want to kill Jesus for him just speaking the truth. Abraham didn't do this when he heard from God. When Abraham heard from God, he responded positively. But the Jews were not following in the footsteps of Abraham. They were following in the footsteps of their father. And like I said, we're going we're gonna to hear who Jesus is talking about, but I'll give you a, a small spoiler. He's not talking about their earthly fathers. And he goes on, and he says, you are doing, verse 41, you are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So instead of doing the works that Abraham did, Jesus says that they're instead doing the works of their father. And like I said, they keep completely missing the point when Jesus speaks. And sometimes I wonder if, if we sometimes unconsciously but intentionally misunderstand the words Jesus is trying to say. And I'm not talking about the people that are here, the people that are born again, but I think the people in the world, they, they, they don't actually want to hear the truth because it would impact their life so much. You see, it's a lot easier to claim that, that, um, um, that the Bible is crazy and that, that Jesus was just a man and that God is just some fairy in the sky with a white beard. It's easier to say that and continue on in your, your lifestyle of sin than it is to accept it as truth and understand that you have to change. And so what's happening, like I said earlier, is there's these, these groups of progressive Christians that are coming out and, and they're saying, oh, no, no, uh, uh, homosexuality is okay. And no, there's one of them that I, I heard recently who claimed that uh, uh, Jesus was racist and he actually was racist in the New Testament and then repented in the New Testament of being racist. And, and, and they take the words of God and they twist them and they, 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 they turn them around to try to somehow support their, their sinful lifestyles. And they completely missed the point. And I wonder how many do it on purpose. Because if they accepted it for what it was, they would have to change their life. So Jesus said to them that uh, in, the, in the last verses here, he says, listen, um, if you were of Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. So basically he's saying, it, they said Abraham's our father, and Jesus is saying, nuh-uh. It's basically what that says there. And uh, he says, you're doing the works your father did. And he says, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So the response to this, to Jesus saying, listen, Jesus said, listen, Abraham's not your father. And they say, yes, Abraham's our father. Jesus says, no, Abraham's not your father. And they say, listen, we're, we're not born of sexual immorality. He says that we have only one father, even God. And their claim had already been rejected by Jesus that they were Abraham's, Abraham's children. So they took it up a notch and said, okay, well, well then we're, we're, we're God's children. And this response to them is interesting 
because of the words they use as well. He says, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. And some, if you read the commentaries and the, the different scholars who have studied this, one of the things that, that they say might be going on here is that they were actually taking a stab at Jesus. They, they may have knew his, his past. And, and as you guys know, um, Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. And in that time, in order for, for Mary to, to remain a virgin, it would have had to happen before they got married, right? So the people in that town more than likely knew what was going on. They, they, they looked upon them with, with shame and because they thought that they were, they were, you know, Mary went outside of wedlock and got pregnant and, and, and even Joseph did too, right? Because he was going to put her away quieter, quietly. But an angel came and told them to stay. So there, there would have been people in the town that, that, that started doing the math and went, wait a minute, something's not right here. So some, some scholars say that uh, that may be what's happening here. They knew about Jesus' background, and they're, they're making a jab at him. Listen, we're not born of sexual immorality. You may be born of sexual immorality, but we're not born of sexual immorality. But then others reject this and say, no, it's probably not the case because um, Jesus actually isn't in Bethlehem right now. You know, he's in, he's in Jerusalem. It's likely that, that these people didn't know that much detail about who he is. You know, I don't know how fast the rumor mill went back then. I don't know what they knew or they didn't know. They're, you know, but as I read this, on the other hand, just earlier in, in the chapter, they, they claim to know Jesus. That's one of their arguments against him. Right? Wait a minute, we know him. We know his mother. We know his father. The question is, how much do they know? It could be that, that they know his, his mother and father because they've been coming to Jerusalem to the temple every year and they just know his mother and father. Or it could be that they had more details. So this could be a jab. The question is, how much do they know? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. This is just people thinking about what's going on. More than likely, what's happening here is, is uh, their response is because Jesus was saying that Abraham wasn't their father. And they understood what Jesus was saying because if Abraham wasn't their father, he was declaring that they were born of spiritual fornification, for lack of a better term. And that's more than likely what they're dealing with here. They're like, wait a minute, you can't tell me we have somebody else's father. We're not born in, in spiritual sexual immorality, if you will. We only have one, one father. And he says, listen, our father's God. We're not, we're not uh, uh, as one commentator colorfully said it, spiritual bastards. And uh, the reality is, is that, that they were upset with what Jesus was saying. Now they're starting to get it a little bit. And then John 8, 42 through 43, it says, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. So Jesus pushes back once again. He says, listen, you keep saying you're Abraham's father. You started with saying you're Abraham's father. Now you're saying that, that uh, God is your father. And Jesus pushes back once again. He says, listen, if God really were your father, then you would hear the words that I'm saying and you'd receive them with joy. You wouldn't reject them. If you really were, if God really was your father, then you would love me, not want to kill me. They would understand that he was actually from God. And he was here because God had sent him. If they really were in a relationship with the Father like that, they would know these things. 
And Jesus had been speaking to him this whole time, trying to tell him who he was and who sent him and all of these things. But they were unable to, re, to, to, to hear what he was saying because they had such a great opposition to him in the first place. You see, they had already decided that they hated him. And because of that, they refused to hear anything that he was saying. They were unable to understand and the thing is, them being unable to understand or hear his words means they were unable to respond. And Jesus says, why do you not understand what I say? But then he answers, and he's, it's, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. They hated him so much, they couldn't even bear to hear his word. They couldn't bear to understand a response. And then Jesus goes ahead and he makes it clear why that is. And as I said earlier, when he says that it's, it's they're of their father, this is who he's talking about. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, Jesus finally makes it clear who he was talking about the whole time when he kept saying he's of their father. If they didn't get it before, I think they're going to get the message loud and clear now. And the thing is, is that the devil is the enemy of truth and the devil is a murderer. And the devil can't stand the truth because there's actually no truth in him. He's the father of lies. The truth is, is, is the opposite of who he is. And the thing about him is that that he is a liar, we know that, and he's been deceiving every person that has taken the opportunity to listen to him. I mean, starting from the garden, anybody that listens to him gets deceived and finds himself in a mess. And that's what's happening here. He, Jesus says, you're of your father, the devil. And this whole time, the devil's been lying to him and deceiving them and directing them in, in, in opposition to God's word. The people that Jesus were talking to were following in his footsteps, the devil's footsteps. And it ended up, because of this, their will was to fulfill the desire of their father, the devil, which was opposing the truth and delighting in murder. You know, they were a tool that was created of the devil with the purpose of obstructing God's love and his truth. You know, and that's what happens when you don't abide in God's word and you start abiding in the world. You may not even realize it, but you begin doing the work of the, of the one who is the God of this world. And that's what's happening here. They, they were rejecting God's purpose in Jesus. They were rejecting his love in Jesus, forgiveness in Jesus, freedom in Jesus. They were rejecting all of these things because they were deceived by somebody else who Jesus refers to as their father, the devil. And instead were just one of his tools obstructing God's love. And then in verse 45 and 46, he says, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, then why do you not believe me? You see, Jesus is the complete opposite of their father, the devil. The devil only lies, and Jesus only speaks the truth. 
Matter of fact, the Scripture says that Jesus is the truth. And because of this truth, and because He is truth, He is in opposition to the lies that they have been told the whole time. And because they have been lied to this whole time, and Jesus is, is truth, now they are in opposition to Jesus. They are rejecting Jesus, and not only are they rejecting Him, but they're also now going out of their way attempting to kill him. And because the truth is in opposition to all the lies that they've been told, they just can't believe what Jesus has to say. And I think it's even more than that because in addition to having the truth spoken to them, it exposes them as well. You see, that's why so many people don't like the truth spoken to them because it exposes them. And like I've said multiple times, you get, when, the, when the, the, the light is, is, is shown on your deception, when, when, when the deception and the lies are exposed by the truth, you have to make a choice. You have to continue believing the lies. Even when you know they're lies, you basically begin lying to yourself so that you can continue to live in whatever lifestyle or, or, or live in whatever has been exposed by the truth, or you can accept the truth in change. So the, the truth that Jesus was saying, especially the one that says, listen, I'll set you free, that's not, that's not something they wanted. As far as they were concerned, they were all holy and righteous. They were all above reproach, Right? They didn't, want to be, they, they didn't want to hear the truth that they were slaves to sin. They didn't want that exposed about themselves. Whether they were ashamed or offended, I, I don't know what it was, but it was a lot easier just to deny it and say it wasn't true so you could feel, they could feel better about themselves. He says, listen, because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. And then as a, a uh, pushback against anything they could say. He says, listen, if you, if you say I'm not telling the truth, if you say I'm a liar, which one of you convicts me of sin? Which one of you says that I'm lying? Which one of you can say that? And that's the challenge, right? Jesus is saying, listen, I'm telling the truth. If I'm a liar, somebody convict me of it. Somebody come out here and point it out. Somebody show it. If I'm a liar, go ahead and do that. But if you can't do that, if I tell the truth, why are you not believing me? And I think, like I said, it boils down to if there are so many people, and I can just talk about people that are living today, there are so many people that if they accepted the truth, their life would have to change so drastically that they're unwilling to believe it. So they find any other excuse that they can to show that Christianity is wrong, to show that there is no God. When really, if you just take a few moments and evaluate the evidence, there is so much evidence for the existence of a God, for a creator. And if you keep following that path and you extrapolate it down, you get to, to evidence of choosing, well, which, which God is the right God, right? You know, when you have the, the, the gods of all the other different religions, but the problem is, is there's only one God that is omniscient, omnipotent, that is all-powerful, that, that is a personal God. You know, if you start going down, because if you look at all the other gods, the Roman gods, the Greek gods, they're all missing some of that stuff, Right? But if you just look at the evidence, it, it dictates what God there has to be, and it's an all-knowing, 
an all-powerful, a God that's outside of time, a God that's outside of, of, of space and matter, a God that is, is personal. If you just look at the evidence, all that points to that kind of God, and the only God that fulfills that, 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 that bill is the God of, of Isaac Abraham, the God that we serve. And then if you keep following the evidence, then you, then you have to ask the question of Jesus. Who is Jesus? But if you look at the evidence of what happened, what we have, there is so much evidence that it happened exactly how it said it did. The thing is, nobody argues that Jesus existed. He did. Not even secular historians say that Jesus didn't exist. Everyone agrees on that. The question is, who is he? But if you look at the evidence that we have of that time, there's no reason to believe that he didn't die and in three days rose again. And if he did rise again, that vindicated everything he ever said. And if what he said was true, then, then we have to make a choice. He says, why would you not believe me? And then we'll finish up here in verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God the reason why you did not hear them is that you are not of God. So before they could even respond, before they could, they could answer the question, why do you not believe me? Jesus gives them the answer. He says, here's the reason why you could not or would not respond to the words that I'm speaking, to the truth that I'm speaking. Because if they were actually of God, then they would hear and receive the words of God. But the reason they don't hear them is because they're not actually of God. And as Jesus made clear, it's because they're of their father, the devil. You know, that's the thing is we can choose to hear God, to hear Jesus' words, to hear God's word and believe them and respond to them. And as a result, that truth will set us free. We'll finally be able to live the life that God has called us to live, we'll finally be able to fulfill the purpose that God has for us in our life where we can reject it. And even though you'll have this, this deceptive idea of freedom, you're not actually free. You're living enslaved. And then the last thing is that we, we've noticed here, and it's not the only scripture that talks about it, but you also have to remain in the faith. You know, here were people that started to believe, but as soon as they, they, they had any, any kind of uh, further instruction from Jesus, they fell apart and began to argue and push back. So church, I would just say, that let's, let's ensure that we remain in the faith. You continue walking in it, trusting in Christ fully, abiding in his word so that we may remain in freedom. Amen.